Gather round. It's time to pick the draft order. So, this is how we're going to do it. I spent a lot of time, put a lot of effort into it, got very excited. So, that'll go over there. This Everyone is your... on the count of three, put your hand in, pull out a piece of paper. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, oh, wow. There it this is. This is really exciting. Number oh, four. Number six. Number one. Number one. <laughs> Tim Brady, mother Congratulations. <laughs> but that is not where you're going to be drafting. See the kids over there? The kid with your number is your kid. Where they finish in the race is where you draft. Huh, bitches? You, you didn't even pick your own child. That's good because she's not that fast. Welcome to DFT, Dynasty Football Talk Podcast with my guys, Paul Edgington and Derek Cook. Let's get it. Welcome in. I'm your host, Paul Edgington, here with my co-host, Derek Cook. Derek, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really good, sitting here watching this uh, Seattle and Denver game with you. I've got some skin in it. I need Russell Wilson to pick it up, otherwise I'm going to lose in our home league this week. The guy I'm playing's got Albert O, and he's outscoring Russ. I am not happy. And he's the worst team in the league, to be fair, too. Yeah, but to be fair... You have lost to that team for the last two years. You were the only two wins on this franchise's record, actually. I will say, I have been a playoff team the last two years. Two years ago, I was tied for the best record. Last year, I was fourth seed. So, let's just cut to the shit. Um, man, I hope I don't lose. But, yeah, you're right. That team has two wins in the last two years, and I'm both of them. Well, I guess third time's the charm, huh? Well, I always lose to the teams I shouldn't and beat the teams that are supposed to be the powerhouses, it seems like. Except for when it comes to playoff time, you just shit yeah, to bed there. Playoff time, it just it, it doesn't work for me. I lose in the first round. That or I go all the way. When did you ever do that? Uh, redraft years ago. Yeah, that makes sense. The beginner leagues, I get it. Yeah, that uh, was D'Angelo Williams you told me about in my championship game. What, what was that, four or five years ago? Well, way longer than that, buddy. Six, seven, when he played for the Steelers? Yeah, that was quite a while ago now. Six, seven years ago, maybe? Probably, roughly, yeah. Without looking it up. Yeah, that was ancient history now. Yeah, I'm not doing too good in redraft. Both my teams lost this week. But dynasty-wise, I think I'm I'm four and two, possibly five and one, depending on how our our, uh, home team, home league goes. But uh, how are you doing, man? Did you enjoy that Roosters? It's always nice football and wings. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. Can't beat Monday Night Football and the Little Roosters. As far as my dynasty team goes, it looks like the three or four I'm really competing in are going to turn out to be a W. The only one on the fringe is our home league, of course. It's basically Jerry Judy versus DK Metcalf and a couple of IDP players. Definitely sucks considering Judy just had a 67-yard touchdown. Uh, I mean, that's great for me because Russ got some points, so now I'm only down by about three, but... Not very good for you unless DK does something. Yeah, unfortunately I lost Jamal Adams for the game, it looks like, too. So I'm up by two after that Jerry Judy touchdown. Just Hopefully DK can snag me two touchdowns and outscore Judy and Jordan Brooks, and I'll be golden. Well, maybe we'll get lucky and Russell just start feeding Cortland Sutton, and DK will get some points that we can both come away with the win in this home league. Well, according to the fantasy community, that's who we should be feeding. It is their supposed wide receiver one. All right, enough about the home league for this week. We'll start with a little Debbie college football talk with my Michigan Wolverines. AJ McCarthy's turn to finally get a start, and he looked fucking magnificent. 
Yeah, I loved what I saw from J.J. this week. I'm just glad that he was finally able to kind of be given the reins of the offense in, in total. Um, you know, I've been rooting for the kid since he stepped on campus. He, I think he's a hell of a quarterback, and we've kind of been saying it the last couple of weeks on here, you know, he's his ceiling's way higher than Cade. Cade's a safe play, but I don't. he's nothing more than just going to be a college quarterback, and I'm just excited to see what J.J. can do. And we kind of saw it against Hawaii. You know, when J.J. was done, Cade came out and took a couple series, and it was like Michigan was stuck right back in the mud again. J.J. came back out, and they marched right down the field. Yeah, it was nice to see J.J. start, Cade come in. Then J.J. actually came in for the two-minute drill at the end of the first half, so that was really nice to see our ball throw him out there in a situation like that that he's never been in before. I mean, as far as stats-wise, he had a really good stat line for playing not a majority of the game. The only incompletion he had was right on the money to Ronnie Bell. He just dropped it. So that was definitely on the wide receiver, but most of McCarthy's balls looked pretty damn good in the air. Nice tight spiral on the money for the most part. Showed off his legs a little bit, which hopefully that'll be a bigger part of the offense with him starting going forward, I hope. He was named the starter for at least this week against UConn. I don't see him struggling against UConn. I mean, it's just UConn. Absolutely. Uh, like you say, it's, you know, no disrespect to UConn, but it's Michigan that's a cakewalk. And I don't see J.J. struggling by any means or letting up the reins to the starting quarterback position. I don't like how Harbaugh came out and said that it's just, you know, just this one week to me. He But he likes to play them mind games. He doesn't like to let you know what's coming or his next move, so I guess I can respect it. But um, I know we were watching the Wolverines play the Rainbow Warriors that, you know, you they, they always were respecting J.J.'s ability to run. And as long as he's out there, the defense is going to be on their heels because it's it's a threat. It's out there. Cade doesn't bring that. And J.J., passing ability-wise, is head and shoulders above Cade anyways. But then just his ability to run, kind of how we talk about these NFL guys, you know, the new mold is QBs with pretty good arms, but also the ability to, you know, being mobile and being able to run. I think J.J. fits that mold damn near perfect. Yeah, as long as we can, you know, take some of the packages we did last year with him when he came in and add those to the regular offense, I think we'll humming like a bird on our way to another Big Ten championship and hopefully another college football playoff appearance that doesn't end in the first half of the game. Uh-uh, not so fast, man. I think my Buckeyes will have something to say about that. I can't wait till we match up. Yeah, that should be a hell of a shootout, hopefully. I'm hoping so. I'm excited about this Ohio State defense personally, but I just can't wait. I might buy tickets this year. If I buy tickets, you want to go? Well, you know I'm right there next to you, pal. We'll be there then. Yeah, the Buckeyes. C.J. Stroud looked back to his old self. Did did not look like he did in Week One against the stout Notre Dame defense. Apparently, Marvin Harrison Jr. looked pretty good. Had a massive stat line, I believe. Igbuka put up another hundred yards and I believe a touchdown. So he impressed me back to back weeks. Finally, think we're seeing the wide receiver Ohio State thought they were getting coming into college from him yeah I I mean it's hard to sit there and say you're impressed because of the opponent but it was nice seeing you know Marvin Harrison kind of come out and you can see what he did over the or before the season and all the hype that he had I think he had like he definitely had over 150 yards and three touchdowns he just he looked he was definitely the wide receiver one out there he was 
just being a monster, he, you know, had a couple touchdowns where he caught the ball and just took off. It was sweet. And then Igbuka was definitely nice, too. Like you say, 100-plus yards, another touchdown. And as always, kick returns and punts. I'm excited to get JSN back here soon. Uh, the the running part of the offense I don't think looked too, too hot this week, though, personally. Um, and then repeating, C.J. Stroud looked back to his former self, former self last year against, you know, like the foes of Utah and and stuff. Yeah, Ryan Day again just seems like he just doesn't want to focus on the run game even though you have Henderson back there. No idea why he just doesn't want to use him and get him out in the open field and get him going. Yeah, I don't I don't understand that either because I mean, I think everybody's got Travion Henderson as their Debbie RB two. I don't think anybody I mean, it's obviously Bajan, then most people I would say is Henderson. And the you know, he's extremely skilled. And proved it last year. He was, you know, he had a hell of a season as a true freshman. You know, you would hope that he would build on that, but I don't think he's gotten more than 20 touches in a game yet. You know, I'd like to see, I think he had 16 or 17 last week, and then definitely I don't think he had that many against Notre Dame. I'd like to see the kid get about 25 touches a game, just to, you know, between uh, receiving work and running the ball. I, I am excited about Mayan Williams, though, still. You know, he's a nice change of pace back for, for Trevion. And then I did see C.J. Stroud um, did do a couple QB runs. I don't think they were designed, but he kind of, you know, scrambled and took off and got a couple yards here and there. Maybe he heard me bitching about him last week or that or Ryan Day changed his tune about letting the quarterback run. It was nice to see C.J. actually move a little bit. And he's definitely got a little bit of wheels. He's Again, he's not Braxton Miller or, you know, anybody like that but yeah i'd say he's you know speed wise comp to jt barrett ish maybe oh, maybe, man, a little, maybe, maybe a little faster well jt ban jt ran with the purpose man he just he was like a always fall forward type of guy and cj is definitely not that but i think he's got more speed than jt but it's i don't think it's much different yeah definitely think whether it's the quarterback henderson or meatball williams ryan day needs to get that running game going 100 percent, especially you know they've got an nfl line they do every year. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, they're just massive all across the front five. Yeah, they're just fucking trees. But going on to Notre Dame you were talking about earlier. Man, yeah. they looked like shit, didn't they? It's the thunder you heard of Marshall. Yeah, they lost 26-21 to Marshall. At home, too. At, right. right. That's just embarrassing. That TV deal sucks. Coming off a close, hard-fought competitive game in the horseshoe, you go back home and... You drop at the Marshall. I don't. I really don't get it. Um, I kind of feel bad for Marcus Freeman because I'm sure he's getting a lot of hate. He's the first Notre Dame coach to lose his first three games. Granted, last year his first game was interim coach, but you know the the talents there. And being Notre Dame, you're always going to get the recruits, but you know you kind of got to put it together. And I, I hope the best for Marcus Freeman. Um, it did seem like at points they were trying to get Lorenzo Styles involved to me, but a Buckner just looked like ass, and I, I, I don't, I don't really like Buckner. I really don't. I said it before the Ohio State game. Um, he kind of made me eat my words a little bit. You know, he had a couple good throws against Ohio State, but against Marshall, I mean, I don't think there was anything that I would put on a highlight tape that he did. Yeah, I didn't see too many positives from him, but like you said, Lorenzo Styles. Was more involved. Seems like he was more targeted versus Ohio State. 
but maybe he just couldn't get open against Ohio State. A lot easier against Marshall to get open, but who knows. But it was nice to see him to get some more looks in the previous week. And Marshall was also without their star running back, Rasheen Ali, as well. And they still managed to beat Notre Dame on the road. I mean, it's it's definitely impressive. you got to tip your hats to Marshall. Uh, they 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 played their fucking tails off. You know, you go into Notre Dame, a tough place to play against still a top eight ranked team. I think they were ranked eighth because they didn't fall far after losing to the Ohio State when they were ranked fifth. And, you know, stealing a victory that nobody thought they had a chance to do. I don't remember what the uh, spread was, but for some reason I'm thinking it was like 20 and a half. Yeah, it would not be surprising with Marshall. I don't believe they're, I mean, they're 2-0 now. But going against Notre Dame, I'm sure, was a hefty spread. Oh, for sure. Now on to Cameron Ward. Led his Washington State Cougars to a W in Camp Randall against Wisconsin. He didn't look the best, but he didn't look the worst. His first real challenge as a college quarterback and against a pretty good Wisconsin defense. Say he fared pretty well for himself. I would have liked to have seen him do better, of course. But... Not too disappointed in the outcome. He did lead them to a W, so that does count for something, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly impressed with anything he did. He did have a, I think, his first interception was absolutely terrible. Yeah, I mean, you just, you, you got to learn not to do what he did. Um, but I'm, like you say, still impressed. Camp Randall was a hard place to play. Wisconsin, year in and year out, has a good defense, and then they were able to keep. Braylon Allen and that Wisconsin offense pretty well in check. What was it, like 17-14, I think? Yeah. yeah surprisingly, so with a Pac-12 defense, they were able to contain a running game like Wisconsin's and Braylon Allen. I was very surprised to see yeah, that. I was honestly more impressed with their defense than Cam Ward. You know, I, I was definitely a team effort and, you know, a hard-fought victory. And, it, you know, not a dogfight in the fact that it was a high-scoring game, but a dogfight on the defensive side of the ball. You know, both teams struggled offensively. Nobody ever really got going, and, you know, it, it was a good game. It was, you know, for a defensive struggle, it was a it was a good game. It, you know, kind of kept you on your feet because it was always close. But, uh, again, I kind of say the same thing. Nothing, um, you know, nothing Cam Ward did would really be worth putting on a highlight tape to me. You know, I mean, I bet that's about it on – on Cam Ward. Now, um, like another game that I was kind of disappointed in was the Kentucky-Florida game. Uh, Anthony Richardson did not look good. And, I mean, Levis looked a little better, but, again, still not good. I I feel like we got Anthony Richardson last week, like, the high. Like, you know, that's his ceiling. Anthony Richardson, QB1 coming out, being drafted by the Falcons. And then this last week against Kentucky, it was like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, it it kind of sucks because you know he has the talent, but it was like he just he wasn't there. He he did not do good. I was not impressed by anything. I mean, he regressed between one and two. Maybe he played down his opponent playing Kentucky because personally, I have Utah above Kentucky. I think Utah's a a much better team. Um, but Richardson just to me just did not look good at all, and I definitely would not mock him as the first QB coming off the board. How do you feel about how Richardson did? I think he played very poorly compared to week one, of course. He definitely showed that he's still a project quarterback. It needs a good amount of work before he'll be 
anything of consequence in the NFL outside of the run game. But I was very, very let down by the matchup overall. I thought we were going to see much better football out of both teams. Will Levis obviously outplayed Anthony Richardson, but that's not really saying too much with his performance. I was, again, disappointed by his play as well. Not up to what I thought we were going to see. Just all around. Let down by the quarterback play in the game overall. It's unfortunate. thought we were going to get an early season showdown between two of the top quarterbacks in the 23 class, and we just got nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really piggyback much off of what you said, but I I do think that, you know, I was expecting a, a dogfight out there between the two and just, you know, being swept off my feet both ways, coming, you know, with them each coming down the field, but I, I was not by any means, and I was disappointed by the quarterback play from both Richardson and Levis. And on to the most anticipated matchup of the week for, I think, both of us, Texas versus Alabama. Um, man, to be completely honest, I was entirely wrong about Ewers. Um, the first two drives he was out there, man, he looked phenomenal. I was more impressed with the tiny bit of game he had against Alabama than I was the whole game he played before, you know, last week. He looked fucking good. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian's offensive game plan going out there to neutralize Bama's defensive line and Will Anderson in particular was fucking phenomenal. You know, the the quick routes, the, you know, just everything underneath, two-step drops. I mean, it just, it, it was beautifully orchestrated the way that they were game planning to neutralize that defensive line. Um, <clears throat> it's unfortunate because I think if, I, I 100% believe if you were stayed healthy that that game, that Texas would have won the game and I would have been eating crow again because I said there's no way in hell Texas wins that game. They won by one, or they lost by one to Bama, and Hudson Card went out there and he did not look bad either. Um, again, I also strongly believe that if he didn't injure his foot that they probably still would have won the game. If Ewers was out there, I think they win by 10 points. I mean, because Bama could not stop Ewers. Um, it's unfortunate. I'm glad to see that it's... I immediately thought that it was a collarbone issue. It seems like that was ruled out immediately. Um, it's just a sprained shoulder, I think. Yeah, shoulder sprain. Four to six weeks, he'll be out. I mean, four to six weeks is still significant time, but it's better than six to eight, which would have been, you know, a broken collarbone, which is what I thought it was immediately after seeing it. Um, I'm excited to see him recover, come back and look good. The weapons look good. I think Bajan had a rushing touchdown. Uh, Xavier Worthy looked, I mean, damn good as well. He seemed like he was getting open deep on, I mean, he was hitting him, I think, two or three times deep, or tried to, I think, connected with him twice, and, uh, I think Worthy dropped one on a dive he missed, but I mean that they they all looked good. Uh, <clears throat> Jatavion looked really really good. It seemed like he was a big part of that game plan when Ewers was in, but it was like as soon as Hudson Card came in, he was no longer a part of it. Um, I was honestly super impressed with everybody on Texas. They played a hell of a game, and I honestly I hate Bama and I wish that Ewers would have stayed healthy or Card could have stayed healthy and would have would have beat him. It was a hell of a game, though. Yeah, it was definitely a great college football game to watch. But same thing. I think if Quinn plays the whole game or Card was healthy, be able to use his legs, 
I think Texas would have upset Bama. I tried to tell you all week long it was at least going to be a competitive game, if not Texas coming out on top. Well, I agreed that it was going to be competitive, but I figured Bama would win by a, you know, a touchdown or, or 10 points. I, I didn't see it being a one-point game, even considering Texas's injuries. Um, they're kind of getting back to yours again, man. I was just I, – I, dude, I think he only had two series. Um, but, man, just the way he was spinning that – was just, I mean, it It was like, I see exactly why he was rated a perfect on 24-7. Like, I mean, the ball just jumped off his hands, and he was making every throw. I was, Golden Mullet was there, and he looked fucking good. I, I loved everything I saw from Ewers before he got hurt. It, it was a little mad he left Ohio State, I won't lie. He looked, he looked, it, it was the, he was the, he's the real deal. He's real. It, it looked good. Yeah, it'll be nice. When we see him back on the field, luckily, wasn't a broken collarbone like you were anticipating, as I thought it was as well, first seeing the hit. But hopefully he'll be back again this season. We'll get to see him for at least a handful of games once again. I was disappointed as well that Jatavion Sanders wasn't a bigger part of the game plan, especially when years went out. I thought they might lean on him a little bit more, get him out in a little bit of space, and have him get some hard-earned yards, get some yak yards, and move the chains. But, unfortunately, that just wasn't the case. It seems like he was pretty much phased out when Hudson Card came in. Yeah, he had, I think, two or three screens to him when Ewers was in. I mean, he was definitely a part of the game plan when when Ewers was back there. Because he's just, you know, one of them guys, you get the ball in his hands and just let him see what he can do because he's fucking huge but runs like a wide receiver. You know what I mean? He's just He's just exciting to see. But honestly, I was more impressed by the way that Texas defense was playing. It seemed like they just had every Alabama receiver locked up. They had Bryce Young and Shambles. He seemed like he just could never get rolling until, you know, late in the game when it mattered most in crunch time. He started, you know, reading his progressions and reading the defense like, you know, a fucking NFL caliber quarterback would. You know, he looked great that last scoring drive from Alabama. He made all the right reads, made all the right throws, and the throws were were phenomenal. I was extremely impressed those last couple drives for Bama. Um, again, I will reiterate that Texas defense, they were just fucking flying around, and every receiver was blanketed. I am disappointed with the Alabama receivers. It seemed like they could never get any separation. They were always covered, making it tough for Bryce Young to get the ball to him. You know, they're definitely going to have to step up if, you know, they plan on being a college football contender this year. Um, really, the only bright spot outside of Bryce Young that, that last bit of the game was Jameer Gibbs, and he was good pretty much all game. How do you think Jameer Gibbs played, Paul? I think he played fantastic in the receiving game. He didn't really get too much done on the ground, but he was the leading, leading receiver in yardage and receptions, and he had the only receiving touchdown of the game. So if that game's any indication of what we can expect from him going forward and into the NFL, he's just going to be a PPR monster. Yeah, I think PPR machine is definitely a, an easy word to associate him with. He looked really good. I was, I was impressed. He was getting a lot of the, he was getting all the receiving chops. You know, like you said, led the team receptions and yards and scored the only receiving touchdown. I mean, he looked really good. He was about the only one besides Bryce Young that looked good. He really showed what he can do in the receiving games and the talent he has when it comes to that. 
phase of the game. Right now, he's submitted as my running back two in the class, of course, behind Bijan. But I would have no problem getting Jameer Gibbs in a rookie draft. No, I, I definitely would agree with you that he's up there for me as well, and I would not be mad with him. I mean, Bijan's obviously the guy, the one, but Jameer Gibbs, the PPR upside for him, you know he can be a third down back. He's going to get all the receiving work. A team's going to draft him for that. It's, it's not a bad way to go. Now on to our final game of the Debbie portion. USC versus Stanford. Caleb Williams to Jordan Addison once again. Look like one of, if not the best, wide receiver quarterback combos in the nation. Jordan Addison is slowly starting to change my mind on him, creeping up my rankings for the 23 class. He ended the game with seven receptions for 172 yards and two touchdowns. One of them was a 75-yard touchdown. That was just an absolute bomb from Caleb Williams. Addison did his part by catching the ball, of course, and he did break a tackle on his way to the end zone. Caleb Williams had a hell of a day. 20 20 of 27 for 341 and four touchdowns. He looked good, as usual. Again, he's still my overall Debbie quarterback one. Going back to Addison for a second, I did see on Twitter that Ray Garvin at Ray GQ did say that Jordan Addison is giving off strong Justin Jefferson vibes to him. So I thought that was quite interesting. A very unique take on Jordan Addison. I can definitely see why he would would say that. Um, Like you, before the season started, I was kind of somewhere in the middle with Jordan Addison. I wouldn't on this I wouldn't on the hype train that it seems like everybody else is on, but I also I wouldn't necessarily like low on him either. I just didn't know exactly where I had him. Um I think I'm a believer. I mean, I I'm just I am impressed, you know, the the way he's just always getting open deep, you know, and then the ball in his hands, he can make shit happen. He's another one of them exciting players to watch. He shows you why he won the Blitnikoff last year. And now he's, you know, no, not knocking to anything to Kenny Pickett. He's in the NFL on an NFL roster, been competing for a, you know, a starting QB role. Uh, Caleb Williams is, I mean, I'm like you. I think I've got him as my Debbie QB one now too. Caleb Williams is, I think him and uh, Jordan Addison are going to light the college world on fire this year. USC might be fucking back with Lincoln Riley there. Um, I think they might be a playoff team this year. No, I think they're a year out personally. Um, the talents there, but I just I'm not I'm not entirely sure. They're definitely the, I think they're definitely the best Pac-12 team though. I think it'll be extraordinarily hard for them to compete against teams like Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, just to name a few. I mean that could, you could very well have them four in it this year. Speaking of Caleb Williams, I know that you or I are in a Debbie league and. I saw a pretty massive trade go down involving Caleb Williams. You, you care to explain that one for me? Oh, yeah. I made a little bit of a blockbuster in the league today. Another manager DM'd me with interest in Jamar Chase and just straight up came with the offer of B. John Robinson and Caleb Williams for Jamar Chase. I couldn't reply quick enough to send it over, and it's a done deal. I'd say as of right now, I got the better end of that deal with my team makeup. What do you think? I spoke with you about that earlier before we started doing this. Um, 
exactly your team makeup. You're kind of competing 2024, 2025. So those Devi guys make a lot more sense for you. Whereas a guy like Jamar Chase makes sense for his team since he's more of a compete now, win now team. So I can see both teams getting better at different times due to the trade. I would have done what you did for sure. Don't get me wrong. I love Jamar Chase just as much as the next guy. Having him as, you know, my wide receiver two dynasty-wise right behind J.J. But <clears throat> I couldn't pass up Bijan and Caleb Williams. That's just that's just too much. I would I would love to have both them pieces. And I think you're sitting pretty good on the Debbie side in that league now too, aren't you? you, what, do you what do you got, six guys now? Yeah, I'm up to four. Looking to get a couple more this season for the trade deadline. But I have Bijan, Caleb Williams to go with Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy. Yeah, pretty damn good Debbie roster right there, if I'd say so. Yeah, can't complain. The 2024 20, year looks like that'll be when I hopefully start getting back on track to being a contender. Bijan will be in his second year, so he'll still be around to help me out. But I feel pretty damn good about the trade. Ecstatic. My first share of Bijan and Caleb Williams. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to being able to use those guys here in a couple of years and just taking my way to the top. They're definitely two of the more exciting players to have, Debbie-wise, and I think you set yourself up good for, for the future. You you do have a couple building blocks on that team, if my memory serves correct, so being able to get Bijan in there next year and then, you know, <clears throat> having him for a year and then bringing in, you know, a guy like Quinn Ewers, I definitely think that, you know, that team could make some noise here in a year or two. The worst thing about this whole, the whole shenanigans of it all is just having to, like, donate, you know, a year or two up front before you start seeing any type of progress. But, you know, that's what makes Debbie Leagues fun. Yeah, it does suck having to donate for two to three years, but look at it. Donate for two to three years, win the championship, another one to two years after that. Pretty much paid for everything up to that point, so it kind of balances out in that aspect. But I agree, I hate donating, but sometimes it's just the best strategy to go with, especially in Debbie. I do right now, I'm on a kick of I want those Debbie guys. Did another league with some other guys Scott Connor, Ray Garvin, Eric Vanek, half auction, half snake draft. Debbie, we could have 36 maximum Debbies in the league. So no limits on how many Debbies you could own per team. So in our snake draft, I went very Debbie heavy. I think I have uh, seven or eight Debbies in that one already. So I'm just on a kick. If I want those Debbie players in my Debbie leagues, I want to play for 24, 25, see how these guys pan out. Yeah, I remember when you were drafting for that Debbie league, because I think we were up in Canton when you were mid-draft, and we were kind of discussing some of the Debbie guys, and... I was. I've never done a draft like that where it's, you know, there's 24 Debbie players, or roster spots for Debbies, but you can have 10 of them if you want. It just depends on how you want to draft. I thought that was pretty cool, but you definitely went super Debbie heavy, and I I get why you do that because a Debbie's just to me is way more fun, to be honest. There's just so much more, you know. The, most of these NFL guys, you kind of already know what you're getting or what to expect, whereas Debbie guys, you know, they're the freshmen and sophomores in, in college who, you know, are 
taken over for a guy who just left or were highly recruited and you're hoping that they hit. It, to me, it's just way more exciting. I like college more than NFL personally. But, you know, I, I thought that – I think that both of your – that the different teams we were just talking about for you are awesome and they should definitely set you up for the future. And if you do it right – you know, you may donate, you know, like you said, for a year or two, but then if you do it right, you could be see yourself in the championship game for five straight years and make a whole ton of money. Yeah, I also look at it <clears throat> as getting them as Debbie assets is more than likely the cheapest you're going to get these guys. You know, once Bijan's drafted, his price is going to go up, of course, because the less risk involved, you know, he's in the NFL, he's made it. Probably going to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. So, naturally, his price is going to be a little bit higher than what he is right now. Absolutely, it's the, the cheapest you'll ever get them as, as long as they make it. You know what I mean? Um, but the guys that we're talking about, I mean, are, are pretty much bona fide going to make an NFL roster and get drafted. And Caleb Williams and Bijan, I mean, there's no fucking question that they're NFL guys. Absolutely. One thing I was worried about jumping into playing more Debbie leagues was – Obviously, with normal dynasty leagues, you're only dealing with future draft picks. So the future 21 first you have is only going to increase in value leading up to that draft. Whereas the Debbie asset, you can acquire at the peak and then slowly decline by the time they could be eligible for the NFL draft and not even make it to the NFL. So that was one big thing that was holding me back was just that aspect that you're going to acquire an asset you get very well declined compared to just normal dynasties. You're getting a liquid asset that's going to increase the value. And to me, that's the beauty between you know regular dynasty and Devi is that you know Devi already has a name attached to it. So you have a basically an asset that you know what it is, and you can see the trends going up or down. So you know what his value is. Whereas, like you say, a, a draft pick, you know. This year, it's 2023 first, but we don't know where those are going to land. And as the season goes on and we progress, we see who's going to get the 101, the 102, 103. So now we have a more solid grasp of what that is, but then there's still no name attached to it. You, I, I said last week and the week, maybe the week before that the 101, you're crazy if you don't take Bajon Robinson, but you know maybe there's a guy out there that doesn't take Bajon Robinson at the 101. I'm sure there's somebody out there who doesn't. It's going to happen. You're stupid. But there's going to be somebody out there that does it, you know. And also, to me, um, it, if you're just playing regular Dynasty, you're already kind of playing Devi anyways to me because that's how I've played it anyways because I look at these college guys and watch college games and look at a fuck ton of film. So to me, it was our, it was a, it's an easier transition because I'm already doing it. Right. So going into a Devi league and, like you say, having guys that are actual names that are mine or on my team... It, it just it made so much sense. So I, I I thank you for introducing me to the Debbie side of fantasy football. Yeah, why go out there and acquire a random draft pick that could turn into what the player you want or could not when you can just play Debbie and go out there and acquire the player you want. And like you say, for about as cheap as it'll ever be if they make it. Exactly. So Debbie is quickly becoming my preferred format and way to play dynasty football nowadays. I know we've talked about it, but I plan on commissioning way more Debbie leagues next year compared to just regular dynasty leagues. Yeah, I think you and I were chit-chatting about doing probably like three to five more next year Debbie leagues. I'm excited. Debbie to me is the way to go. I don't think I'll ever join another dynasty league that's not Debbie. 
it's you're already playing Debbie basically in a dynasty league. Why not make it full on Debbie? Yeah, there's many different ways to play Debbie. You can go light, have you know one, two, three rounds of Debbie initially. So twelve team have twelve to thirty six Debbies, or you could go very heavy on it and have five to ten rounds of Debbie and essentially a minor league roster compared to just having the rookie picks that at that point would really hold not much valuable other than you're drafting freshmen every year at that point for the most part. Right, and I think you and I are on a very similar page when it comes to building your own team how you want team construction. So a, a Devi league where you say there's 36 Devies available. If, Like you said, if I wanted to go out there and draft six, seven, eight Devies and go light on the NFL side, get some younger pieces, and then play for the future, I fucking can. Whereas another guy wants to sit there and win his money this year, he also can. So I think that's what you and I really try and are trying to get to now is just having complete control and being able to build a team however which way you want. Absolutely. For Debbie, it's definitely a little nerve-wracking, Lots of fears jumping into it for many reasons, but I think once you jump into it, it's just about finding that healthy median of how many Devies you're comfortable playing with, keeping that balance to make sure you're still enjoying the league, but also getting that Devi experience and playing a new level of Dynasty that I find to be more fun and enjoyable. Honestly, I think going in Dynasty, you might as well sink or swim, you know what I mean? Just fucking jump in and do it. You know, don't dilly-dally around. Just jump in, full-on, go for it. I mean, like I said, there's so many different ways you can build your team. Like the one Debbie League I'm in, I took Travis Kelsey, and then I think I got Brock Bowers. Hopefully, you know, by the time Kelsey's gone, it's the next Kelsey, you know. So, I mean, that's about all I can think of, though, for Debbie. Um, Are are there any games next week that you're looking forward to, Debbie-wise? I'm looking at the slate of games, not really too many exciting matchups. The one that does stick out the most is Penn State versus Auburn. Get to see some more Parker Washington, the stunning freshman Nicholas Singleton for Penn State, versus Tank Bigsby, who looks like his old self from his freshman year, back to dominating, again rising up the 23 boards I've seen going around the community. That's probably the game that sticks out most to see those two running backs clash head-to-head. I'm honestly going to have to agree with you. I was looking at the slate of games with you, and literally about the only one. Um, Quickly looking, there's like one matchup that both teams are ranked, and that's BYU against Oregon, but we kind of touched on Oregon earlier. And, you know, I, I honestly don't anticipate anything exciting coming out of that game, but... Definitely excited for Parker Washington. He had a pretty good game this past week, if I do recall. Uh, Nick Singleton looks like he's the real deal. Like he had, what, 180 yards on like 10 carries, two touchdowns. I'm excited to see what he continues to bring. Um, You and I talked about him before. He was, you know, obviously super highly recruited, and it looks like he won that job, and he's just fucking – carrying on my wayward son with it uh also agree with you <clears throat> tanks bigsby's looking looking pretty good but i'm more excited about seeing singleton honestly the oh, guy, yeah. i think that guy's got it it's very exciting to watch so far seeing them comp to saquon jonathan taylor already six foot 
220 coming into college, you know, that's only going to look even better after a year in the program and an offseason going through all the stuff they're going to do to his body to shore it up, put some more muscle on him. So I can't wait to see how he progresses through the season. He really seems like he is the total package. Has the wheels, strength, very good contact balance. He has a pretty damn good stiff arm from what I've seen so far, too. And he definitely looks like he's got really good vision for a, a true freshman. Um, and, you, you know, you got to think that he's like still got his high school body, really. I mean, <clears throat> you know, like you said, give him a year in the program, let the strength conditioning coach really get a hold of him for a full year. And, you know, next year he could be six foot 230 and, uh, you know, really show us what he can do. And I, I like the comps you compared him to. Um, the only thing that I've noticed he might lack a tiny bit in is the receiving chops. But, you know, that was just one game. It looked like he had a couple drops. So maybe he bounces back. I do think he has all the tools to be a very productive NFL Running back, I'm, like I said earlier, just excited to see him continue to grow and see what he does the rest of the year. It will be very exciting to see once the Big Ten schedule comes for him. But on to the NFL side of things. Kick things off. My still reigning, defending, undisputed quarterback one, Patrick Mahomes, balled the fuck out and showed why he is still... Patrick Mahomes with or without Tyreek Hill had a massive game I know in our home league he got me 52 points he had 360 passing yards five touchdowns and about 77 completion percentage so again just massive stat line couldn't have asked for a better game especially to come out and prove that Tyreek Hill did not make that offense and that it's going to go on without Tyreek Hill. Patrick Mahomes is still going to be Mahomes, the baby goat in my eyes. And he's still going to continue to be my overall dynasty quarterback one ahead of Josh Allen and Herbert. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, Skip. I am going to disagree with you. Josh Allen is a completely different animal. He does things that Patrick Mahomes just cannot do. All due respect, though, Patrick Mahomes had a hell of a fucking game. He did prove why he's a fucking top fantasy quarterback. Obviously, kind of repeating the same thing that you said. And he can do it without Tyreek. He's still got Kelsey. Uh, Juju looks obviously looks like a pretty capable guy out there as well. Um, I'm excited to see a little bit more of Sky Moore. And they finally got CEH involved in the passing game, man. I feel like it's been forever since we said that. Yeah, but, it has been. It was nice to... See him get a couple of touchdowns, actually be involved, use his strengths for once in his fucking career. Utilize the right way for the first time, and it's only taken the first week of season three. But, you know, I mean, Mahomes is good, don't get me wrong, but I don't think there's any way that you can put him above Josh Allen. Josh Allen is damn near on a tier of his own. Really? His own tier? God tier is what you're saying. He's a superstar. So is Mahomes. He's the superstar. No. Josh Allen is the superstar. Patrick Mahomes is just the baby superstar. That's just plain <laughs> disrespectful. 
I love Mahomes. Don't get me wrong. He's my homie. But Josh Allen is, he's just, he's a different breed, man. His running upside just kills it for me. I love him. Yeah, I agree. He does have the rushing upside, but Mahomes still outscored him last week, and Mahomes didn't have anything on the ground. Yeah, well, when you have five passing touchdowns, yeah, that'll, that'll do it to you. Josh Allen had a pretty good game through the air, if I recall. He also played the Rams, the reigning Super Bowl champions. Who'd the Chiefs play, Paul? Does that really matter? It does. The Cardinals aren't the best defense. No. The Rams defense didn't look any better. Because Josh Allen's out there doing the damn thing, I think, personally. We'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. Even though I'm right, you're wrong. That's besides the point. You, of course, can't go wrong with either one of them. So take whichever one you like and run with it. Well, you can't go wrong with either one of them. How does that make you right and me wrong? I don't get that. Logic doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I, I agree. I, said. I agree. You really can't go wrong with either of them. No hate towards um, Patrick Mahomes. He's a beast in his own right, and I am glad they were able to go out there and show that Tyreek Hill, without him, it doesn't matter. And he's still going to fucking do his thing. Yeah, we'll have to make a little side wager who finishes better with more fantasy points at the end of the season. I'll do do that with you, yeah. But on to Saquon Barkley. Looks like the Saquon of rookie year is back. He looked pretty fucking good. Running the ball, he got lots of work. Seems like Brian Dayball is going to ride him until the wheels fall off. Yeah, didn't he have close to 170 yards rushing or something? Yeah, I think he had 164 maybe. Yeah, so on like 17 carries, I think. I mean, he was super productive, super efficient, and I I mean, it definitely looks like rookie Saquon again. Looks like he's back to his, you know, his old self. You know, Saquads, love him. Uber talented, obviously. We know what he is. The, The question is always just, can he stay healthy? You know, he's kind of been injury-prone over the last couple of years. Um, but he looked great. He looked really good. I hate that he plays for the Giants because they're just going to run him into the ground. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, let's just hope and pray he stays healthy and we can extract as many points out of him for fantasy as we possibly can while we have him. Because, of course, with running backs, the shelf life just doesn't last long enough anymore, especially for someone like him getting dinged up so early in his career. Already lost a couple of years of prime Saquon. So hopefully this will be a nice, long, healthy season for him. We'll see a lot more of this. But on to your Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott, unfortunately, looks to be injured again. Looks like he'll be out for about two months, I think I saw. Could have some surgery, unfortunately for him. But I, I would not be surprised if we don't see him again this season. With Cowboys losing Tyron Smith, I believe Connor McGovern also has a high ankle sprain now, so he'll be out for four to six weeks. I just don't think we'll see Dak again by the time it's, he's ready to come back. I don't see the Cowboys winning many games without him or being anywhere close to the playoff contention. So I think Dak will be done for the year. Why trot out your superstar quarterback when you're not going anywhere? No, everything you're saying makes absolute sense. Um, the Cowboys, I mean, it looked like shit against the Buccaneers the whole game. You know, CD was just blanketed every time and nobody else was really getting open. I think Schultz finished with an okay stat line, but um, that game was terrible. Tampa Bay's defense is great, don't get me wrong. Missing McGovern, 
definitely sucked, but we just couldn't get anything going. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely going to miss time, and I think that what you're saying about him just sticking out the whole season makes a lot of sense. Why, you know, rushing back into the game after he has that hand surgery if you're playing for meaningless games, basically. Because um, Ben DiNucci and Cooper Rush aren't going to win us any games, you know. Um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot to say. It sucks because I own Dak in a couple leagues, and I feel bad for the guy because this is a second injury in three years where he's going to miss significant time. I'm glad it's not as bad as the last one because the last one really, I mean, probably did alter his career, let's be honest. He hadn't ran the same since. Um, the hand one, you know, he should come back fine. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't see, I don't think it makes sense for him to come back and play this year. You know, tank, if you will, whatever, play for a good draft pick and maybe start rebolstering that line that's been declining since 2017. I mean, that's what would make sense to me. You know, you paid him all this money. He's your franchise guy, all this guaranteed money. Why don't you protect him? Yeah, absolutely. Being a Bengals fan and Burrow fan, I know all too well you have to protect your big money quarterback if you're going to want to get anywhere. Yeah, and you guys made a, a good bit of moves this offseason to sure up that O-line. Didn't look good this last week, but I mean, yeah. at least you guys, you know, did something the Bengals normally don't do and paid to get something. In regards to the Bengals O-line, I was ecstatic to see them actually spend some money and try to shore up the O-line. I think it's just a good old case of chemistry. Haven't played a lot of football together on the retooled line. Hopefully here in the next couple of weeks we'll see them mesh together, build some more chemistry and get a little bit better, keeping Joe Burrow off his ass and give him some time so he doesn't throw an interception every three plays. I definitely think that's you hit the nail on the head with that. It's just... A matter of just not playing with each other enough like you said no camaraderie no chemistry haven't meshed yet you know come mid-season form they'll probably be just fine i was upset because you guys got my boy leo collins you know but i'm glad to see them projecting protecting burrow by upgrading that offensive line because it's definitely something you need actually you pointed out that i don't think burrow is wearing his brace anymore which is awesome to see it seems like he's getting some of that mobility and comfort back and you know, we might see a little bit more mobile Joe, but I, I do think that <clears throat> it's definitely the right thing to do to protect Joe Burrow. You've got to think that whole from the center to the right tackle, all three of those guys were free agents that we brought in. The only returning starter, I believe, was left tackle Jonah Williams. Our left guard's a fourth-round rookie from North Dakota State. So not a whole lot of experience playing with each other whatsoever or even a whole lot of experience in this particular offense and scheme under Zach Taylor. So hopefully take a couple weeks of practice, games, and we'll start seeing them gel together, get some momentum, finish the season strong, hopefully make another Super Bowl run. On to our next segment, just a handful of overreactions around the fantasy community after week one. One of them, of course, was Joe Burrow with his five turnovers. A lot of people are saying he's not an elite quarterback, elite fantasy option. I tend to disagree with that. It's one game, no need to throw him away because of a whole new offensive line. Plus, the Steelers are the Steelers. T.J. Watt, Highsmith, Cam Hayward coming up the middle. They also had Larry... Ogunjobi. Thank you, Ogunjobi. Joby. Yep, him. From, came over from the Bengals from last season. 
So their defensive line is very good at getting pressure. So nothing to be too ashamed about, in my opinion, with the new offensive line getting your ass whooped by the Steelers. So I think it's just a case of that new offensive line plus T. Higgins leaving the game didn't help whatsoever. Yeah, I'm piggybacking right off of what you said. I'm I'm personally not overreacting. You know, it's early season bumps, you know. The last two years, Burrow started off slow. Last year, I remember the first couple games, he threw a lot of interceptions. Threw a lot of touchdowns, too, but his interception-to-touchdown ratio was about 1-1, to and then it got a lot better six, seven games in. I anticipate that being the same this year with the the lumps and bruises you're going to take with having, you know, three-fifths, four-fifths of a brand-new offensive line. Like you said, we talked about them guys are going to have to mail, gel and mesh together to – you know, put this offense on the next page. Losing T. Higgins was huge. You know, that's your your wide receiver too. We all know what Jamar Chase is, but when you only have to worry about covering one guy, it makes it pretty hard. And you know, when you've always got pressure in your face and you're getting hit, taking bumps like Joe Burrow was, it can it's it's easy to see why he'd throw four picks and lose a fumble. I'm I'm not overreacting to it. I still think he's a a pretty sought after fantasy asset. I'd buy him. I I don't anticipate this being what we see from Joe Burrow every game. On to our second overreaction, Aaron Rodgers. He played fantasy-wise very poorly. I think he had less than five fantasy points in most leagues. Yeah, he, uh, had, just, he had like 180 passing yards and no touchdowns, I don't think. Just wasn't very pretty. The, just doesn't have the receivers. I'm very high on Christian Watson, but him being out of training camp for the most part, I don't believe he played in the preseason at all. He didn't get a chance to build anything with Aaron Rodgers on the field-wise. I just don't think they have the weapons anymore. I know they only lost Devontae Adams, but Alan Lazard did not play. But I'm not a big Lazard guy. I just don't think he has the weapons around him to, for him to be successful as he has been in the past. I don't think it's a very bright outlook for me going forward for Rodgers. A bold take for me. I don't think the Packers make the playoffs this year. I think they finish, they might finish the bottom of that division. Like you said, you know, losing Devontae Adams, don't get me wrong, it's it's fucking huge. But he also, uh, he never builds camaraderie with rookie wide receivers. He's one of them guys that if a rookie drops a pass, he's get he's like, get him out of here. I don't want him on the field. Uh, Christian Watson dropped a touchdown. I could see that being bad for Christian Watson. Like you, I'm high on Christian Watson as well. But, um, you know, analytically a guy that's, you know, of his size and his his metrics – and playing four years in college and never having over a thousand yards, the odds of him actually hitting on the NFL are pretty slim to none. Um, I do like Romeo Dobbs as well, another rookie. Um, you know, again, same thing. I'm not a fan of Alan, Alan Lazard. I think it's going to be really probably the Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon show if they want to have any type of success. That offense looked pitiful. Don't get me wrong, Vikings defense. They spent money on it in the off season. Looked good. I think the Vikings win that division this year. But the Packers aren't very good. I agree. I pegged the Vikings as my division winners in the preseason, and they came out of the gate smoking. Justin Jefferson absolutely killed it. I thought he'd have a good game, but not that good. With Jair Alexander out there, I believe, was guarding him most of the game. I didn't think he would just burn him so much. But I agree, Packers aren't looking very good right now. I'm sure it'll get a little bit better just naturally with Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, 
and the experience they have on the line and in the backfield. But I don't see Aaron Rodgers finishing in the top ten like we're used to. I mean, with as bad as they looked, the only way to go is up. So it's it's got to get better. It it really can't get much worse. He's got to figure. He's got to find somebody that he's gonna. Get, he's got to get comfortable with somebody. And I meant to mention uh, Christian Watson was on the pup list for pretty much the whole preseason. So obviously they have no camaraderie. They didn't hardly practice together. You know, Dobbs looked like the, you know, the preseason guy to put some stock into, but I don't think he did anything over the weekend. For Aaron Rodgers, are you buying or selling him currently? Honestly, I guess it depends on what your team makeup is. Um, I know that's kind of like a broad-spectrum statement. Um, If I'm rebuilding, I'm selling him. If I'm contending, I'm keeping him, though. I mean, I think it's that simple. Um, You know, because I still think he's a serviceable quarterback if you're contending. I wouldn't want him as my QB1. We play in Superflex League, so I wouldn't want him as my QB1 right now because of the lack of weapons. But if he, if I had somebody ahead of him and he was my QB2, I wouldn't be mad. But, you know, at rebuild, I'd, I'd try to get rid of him, but um, his market is probably super down. He's already up there in age, so it, it might be hard to get much out of him. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's got two years left if we're lucky. Maybe get something out of him if you're rebuilding and and hope to pick up one of these, you know, college quarterbacks coming in next year in the next year or two. Yeah, if you're contending, I think he's pretty much going to die on your team at this point. You're not going to get too much out of him. If he is your QB1 and super flex, it's very unfortunate for you at this time, but I think you're just stuck with him. If it was me, I'd be trying to move him, but again, I don't think you're going to get any offers that are going to really make it worth moving him at this point hopefully he'll drop a 30 burger in the next month people will go back to thinking oh Aaron Rodgers he's back to himself and maybe at that point you'll be able to move him for a first round plus I don't know another small quarterback maybe like Mac Jones Zach Wilson if he's still not playing at that point at least somebody to get younger I definitely agree with you you know it's always best to sell a guy after a big week or two you know the market fluctuates all the time and if you can capitalize on it that's the best way to do it uh, and I do think he's gonna there are gonna be a couple games he does get 30 points I mean they have some some weak games you know what I mean it's gonna happen um I, I honestly wouldn't want him as my QB1 but if I was contending he might as well just keep him and let him like you said die on your team because you know still you're not gonna get the production he has to give you you're not gonna get anything back for him if you're contending Right, unfortunately not. Really, it's a lose-lose either way you go, which sucks. But we've passed that window of selling for above market or market value. Or yeah. good good market value. His good market value. There's no good market value with Aaron Rodgers. Well, on to our last overreaction from this past week. Cam Akers. It seems like the consensus around is he's, he's dead. It's no good. Didn't look good. Didn't put up any significant numbers. What are you thinking on K-Makers currently? I'm not going to sit here and say he's dead, but I am kind of in the in the same ballpark as the consensus. Um, I think who McVay said that he didn't show any sense of urgency. I think that's a big no-no. You know, you've I get the Achilles injury, and I was still high on him, but, I mean, Henderson's got the job right now. Um, it's hard to be super high on him if he's not getting the carries. I think he's uber talented. I think he can be good, but he's 
the opportunity is not there, you know. And he he can work his way back, but I'm right now I'm selling him. I'm getting out from under him. I don't want him right now. Not any type of build, or I know I've seen it. Surprisingly, even people on rebuilds are trying to get rid of him for whatever they can at this point. I probably would get rid of him either way, to be honest. Yeah, I'm on the opposite side of the fence there. I'm trying to buy him anywhere I don't already have him. I think he'll bounce back. May not be next week, the week after. I did see that he supposedly had a soft tissue injury leading up to the regular season. And Darrell, Daryl Henderson also had an injury as well, but he came back quicker than Akers did. So hopefully that was something to do with it, that Akers just wasn't quite as healthy as Hendo. So he didn't look quite as good. But I'm trying to buy him for any reasonable price everywhere I can just to see what happens with him. So if he does pop in that offense and regains that clear-cut RB1, he's golden. But if I can get him for a third, even a 23 second at this point, as long as it's not looking to be a top three or four pick, I'd buy him for a mid to late 23 second at this point. I like K-Makers, don't get me wrong. I just, I don't see it, man. The the oper- I think the opportunity has slipped through his fingers, and I don't know if he recovers from it, if he rebounds from it. Hendo might just take the show and just keep on going. I hope for the best, but I would I would be selling Akers. Yeah, definitely buying Hendo at this point, too. He's always been a top handcuff, in my opinion. But with or without Akers, whether you own Akers or not, I'd be trying to buy Hendo I before would. he... Has a huge game and takes over that role even more, and then his price just skyrockets, much like it did last year. I am entirely in agreement with you on that one. I had Hendo last year, and unfortunately traded him away to you, and I, I regret that one. But yeah, I I would definitely be trying to scoop up Hendo right now. Yeah, but Hendo was my he got the K makers I still had and never sold him for the Achilles, but as soon as you trade him to me. Typical of our trades. Mike Williams was also in that same trade. and They both just pretty much shit the bed the rest of the season, so thanks for that. No, they really did, but you got to remember before I traded them to you, Mike Williams was the wide receiver one and Hendo was the running back ten. So you were getting you were getting the better end of the deal. It just didn't work out the same way. Yeah, this is why you don't pay for past production. We don't even want to talk about the trade that you gave me for the 102 when you took Pitts. Let's let's not even bring that up. Yeah, we don't want to embarrass you already. Yeah, that was a bad one. What we'll to bring up a more embarrassing current trade from this season that I'll get you on later on. But on to a few buy and sell candidates for us. We mentioned Akers as well as Aaron Rodgers. Carson Wentz had a hell of a week, maybe even the best week of his career, at least the best week he's had in the last couple of years. If I have him on any. Superflex team, I'm getting rid of his ass as quickly as I can before this upcoming game. Yeah, I know in our home league that, I mean, I my opponent had Carson Wentz starting, and I was projected to outscore him by landslide, and he put up like 44 points. The only quarterback that outscored him was, was Patrick Mahomes. And he, I'm, don't get me wrong, he had a hell of a fucking game, but I am in agreement with you totally. Sell him now. Capitalize on the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately market. And sell him because everybody's like, "Oh, Carson Wentz is back." At least I'm seeing it all over the place. Carson Wentz is back. Sell him because he's not. 
The offense looked pretty damn good, but it was against Jacksonville, so take that for what you will. I take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, Jacksonville's, I mean, Jack, I mean they're a professional team, but they're not good. So, I mean, Wentz is going to Wentz at some point. I know it seems to be a lot of people think the standard is if you're a starting quarterback in the Superflex League, you should fetch at least a first-round pick. I don't always necessarily believe that or go by that. For Wentz, I'd be taking a 23-second or 24-first if you can swing it. Just get out from under him as quickly as you can before you're stuck with him and can't move him for anything of value. There's two things guaranteeing the NFL. The Browns are going to Browns. The Wentz is going to Wentz. Definitely trade him. And I'm right there, same market value. If you can get a 23-second, 24-first out of him, take it. On to another sell. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire finally got involved in the passing game. Had two touchdowns. Obviously, the touchdowns are not going to be sustainable. His role could still change week to week just because it is Andy Reid. And Andy Reid does whatever the fuck he wants, whether it makes sense or not. Seems to always work out for him in the end. So I'd be selling him right now again before he gets on the field again and goes out there and drops less than 10 points and then people are all hands off on him again I know in the one league I still have Clyde in I set out sent out trade offers to the 11 other managers I've got one counter back and three rejects so far so we'll see how that goes but if I have Clyde I'm sending out an offer to every single owner to see what I can get I do have him on the sale as well Um, You and I talked yesterday about it. We were kind of disagreeing about Pacheco. But um, CEH is finally being... Yesterday, or the other day, he was finally utilized for his strengths. And I'm glad to see it. But I do agree that I think it's time to, you know, move on from him selling, get what you can out of him after a big game. It's perfect timing. And, you know, he had a great game. You know, Pacheco only had four carries, and uh, CEH had all, already scored all of his fantasy points, so all of Pacheco's production came after CEH had already scored all his fantasy points. So, to me, Pacheco wasn't really a threat. Not saying he can't be later in the season, but I do think Pacheco's hot on his ass and could give him a run for his money. And, you know, CEH was very TD-dependent the other day. If it wasn't for the TDs, he wouldn't have scored, but, you know, 10 points. So, I'd sell him. Which 10 points isn't bad to get from a solid RB2 or flex, but with him, I just don't see it being a consistent 10-plus points that you can count on every week, unfortunately. No, I mean, he was very efficient when he ran the ball. I think he averaged almost six yards a carry, which is good, but Kansas City's obviously showing they're not going to run the ball a whole hell of a lot. No reason to with the way you're paying Mahomes, so I can't blame him. Right. I'd sell him. On to another sell, Devontae Smith. I would be selling Devontae Smith. I liked him as a prospect. I don't have any hate for him, but what we saw, he only had four targets this past week where A.J. Brown, don't remember how many targets he had, but he did have ten receptions. It seemed like that's Jalen Hurts' guy, which we should have known coming into it. Very close friends outside of football already. Do have some rapport and chemistry. So it seems like A.J. Brown is his guy. I believe Dallas Goddard also had four targets, and I think Kenny Gainwell had three or four. So it seems like it's A.J. Brown at the very top, then everybody else is going to be in the middle getting around the same receptions, no clear-cut 
number two passing option for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, about everybody on that on that roster got work the other day. I mean, even Miles Sanders had a couple targets, which you know he's I think scored eighteen for me. In and he league. scored a fucking rushing touchdown and had ninety six yards and had, I think he had, he was like fourteen carries for ninety six yards or sixteen carries for ninety six yards. Again, very efficient too. But uh, I'm going to reiterate the same thing you did. I love Devontae Smith coming out of Bama. Won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, super crisp route runner. Could do it all. The only knock on him that I had was that he was just super small. that Tiny, I mean. Um, but a hell of a football player. And he looked really good last year when he you know, was basically their wide receiver one. But now that there's an alpha and A.J. Brown there, and like you say, him and <clears throat> Jalen Hurts have been friends since – you know, forever. I've seen. I'm sure you've seen the video when AJ Brown got dropped by the Titans. He was hanging out with Jalen Hurts when he took the phone call. You know, they're probably they're pretty much best friends. I would be selling Devontae Smith as soon as I could to try to squeeze something out of him before this becomes a regular thing. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a regular thing, but he's definitely taking a huge hit with AJ Brown opposite of him. I thought that it might have opened up the field for. Devontae Smith, but that's not going to be... I don't think that's the way this goes anymore. And then on to our next cell, I'm going to say C.D. Lamb. Really? As a Cowboys fan, C.D. Lamb. As much as I hate to say it, he is... Everybody has him as like a top five, the top five dynasty wide receiver, but he's never finished above wide receiver 15. And I get that he had Amari Cooper... You know, ahead of him. And, you know, I used to be in the boat that, well, Amari Cooper's just taking targets away from him, blah, blah, blah. But I think now I'm more in the boat of Amari Cooper was opening up the field for him. Don't get me wrong, Tampa Bay was also... No, Tampa Bay's defense is good. But I, I just... CeeDee Lamb, when the ball gets in his hands and he actually makes the catch, exciting as hell. You know, he's a yak guy and... You know, balls in his hands, he can about do anything. Make you miss. He can run by you, run through you, whatever. But I just, I wouldn't, until Michael Gallup and James Washington come back, I would not expect much out of C.D. Lamb fantasy-wise, personally. And now Dak's gone, so it doesn't help either. When Gallup, Washington come back, still no Dak, so I don't think that's really going to do much for C.D., unfortunately. Yeah. But I'm in the same boat. I'd be selling him. I actually sold my last CD share to you in the home league last year. So I tried to get out of that one. So I was in the same thing. I thought Amari Cooper definitely opened up more for him than holding him back, as a lot of people were thinking. So now with no Dak, no Gallup, no James Washington, Jalen Tolbert was a healthy scratch. So they must saw something from preseason camp that they weren't too fond of to Play the better Noah Brown that's never really been involved in the offense over Tolbert week one. So that's not a very good sign for Tolbert. I'd also be, I'd probably be holding on to him and trying to acquire him. Just, I'm sure a lot of people are reacting. Healthy scratch week one's never a good sign, so he's not going to be much. Especially on the Cowboys team where the receiving core was already depleted. You would have assumed that he would have been out there week one, no issues. Honestly, my biggest gripe for CD is, man, he's got butterfingers. It seems like he drops half of the balls thrown his way to hit his hands. It's it's honestly kind of sad, you know, with the 
wearing the number 88, knowing the guys who've worn that before him, it seemed like most of them were pretty sure-handed. I mean, even Des Bryant up until, you know, he was getting ready to leave. But the CD, he's, we're going in year three, and his drop rate is extremely high for somebody who's ranked that highly as a dynasty wide receiver. All right, now on to a couple of our buys. First one, Darren Waller. Signed a pretty hefty extension for a tight end, I believe a little over $50 million. He was still heavily involved with the offense, not 10-plus targets like we're used to, but I didn't think he would get that coming in with Devontae Adams. They also gave some money to Hunter Renfro as well. I believe they extended him. So there's definitely some more competition in town. I think he's still going to be the second receiving option right behind Devontae Adams. I'm also in the side that Adams is a good thing for Waller. He's going to open up a lot more lanes for him, take some coverage off of him, create a little bit more space for him to work, and use that big body and athleticism to reel in some catches. Again, I don't think he'll see the targets he did before, but I think he'll have more catches, a higher catch percentage than previously because he'll probably be seeing more of the single coverage without a safety over the top or a linebacker on the inside. Yeah, the big difference between, you know, Darren Waller and then I'm assuming you're kind of talking about CeeDee Lamb is that Darren Waller did it before Adams got there. He was established. We know what he is. He made the play. He was a top three tight end before. Mm-hmm. CD, we're just hoping he becomes a top five wide receiver. He is a top five wide receiver. I don't, I don't think he is. But getting back to Darren Waller, um, like you said, he signed – $50 million of new money on top of what he's already getting paid. So that's great. Um, a bad thing about him is the type of player he is. He relies a lot on his athletic ability. He's tw- 29, going on yeah. 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he may have to kind of reinvent himself a little bit when he loses a step, but that could still be another two years down the road. I love Darren Waller, though. I wish he would have never got into the drug scene and you know, we could have seen this guy be this for 10-plus years. It sucks. But I do also agree that having <clears throat> Adams there, um, being that deep threat, being that route-running savant is going to take a lot of the coverage and go towards him because he can beat his the, he can beat his guys matched up on every fucking play. He's that good of a route-runner, and I think anybody who watches football knows it. So I think it definitely helps him. And Hunter Renfro is a nice guy, short, intermediate range. Um, so you basically have a guy on every level that's extremely capable, and I would be extremely happy to be Derek Carr. Darren Waller is definitely a buy for me. Also, the running backs coming out of the backfield receiving is also going to help as well. Amir Abdullah, I believe, will end up being the main receiving back. Josh Jacobs, we know, is more than capable. Just hasn't been used that way thus far in his career. But they wouldn't have given Darren Waller the money they did if they're not still planning to heavily incorporate him into their passing game. So he's definitely a buy for me. I wouldn't be selling him whatsoever, whether I'm on a rebuild, being tight in. The top ones are hard to come by. Even if you're rebuilding this season and next, I think he'll still be putting up top five numbers easily within the next three years. You'll still be able to use them later down the line. But on to another buy. One of my favorite players in the league, Antonio Gibson. What a fucking week. Now, I know some of it does have to do with, unfortunately, Brian Robinson missing time due to being shot. 
But Gibson was also heavily involved in the passing game, which is what we've all been looking for for the last three years with Washington. So it was nice to finally see that come to fruition. Even with J.D. McKissick still being there and active, he was still the primary pass-catching running back for once. Yeah, I like or I liked what I saw from Antonio Gibson this weekend. Uh, he led the the team in receptions, not targets. It looks like Curtis Samuel did that, but they're definitely utilizing him more to his strengths. He led the the team in rushing too, and like you said, it's, that probably had a lot to do with you know the unfortunate shooting of Brian Robinson. Hope he gets better and is able to make it back. But I think that that definitely pushes Gibson back up to a very fantasy-relevant three-down back. Although they do have J.D. McKissick, he is that for the Commanders. And I would buy him immediately and take it to the bank. On to our final buy of the episode, at least for me. Allen Robinson for the Rams. First game with a new team. Looked like shit. Seemed like Sean McVay completely forgot he was even out there first team. Not really involved in the game plan whatsoever. I still think he's very talented. Like I said, first game with a new team. All that good jazz. I think he'll bounce back. They didn't give him all that money, almost $60 million, For him just to take a back seat to Cup, Hindo, Tyler Higby. As the season goes on, I think he'll be more involved in the passing game. Just getting more reps with Matt Stafford. With the amount of money that the Rams paid him, I think he's going to have to step up. Otherwise, he's going to find himself without a job. I watched a good bit of film after the game, and it looked like he was not trying on a lot of his routes. Don't get me wrong. We all know that Matthew Stafford loves Cooper Cup, hence last season. But I was not impressed with anything Allen Robinson did. His film looked terrible. It looked like he was jogging on routes. He was creating no separation. He was always blanketed. I I would personally be selling him. I do not want any piece of Allen Robinson right now, and I would not be surprised if he is out of the Rams by the end of the season. Well, that wraps up the buys and sells for this week. Uh, looking forward to week two. The one matchup I am most excited to see from a fantasy and a just pure football standpoint is the second Monday night game, the Vikings at the Eagles. Very excited to see Jalen Hurts versus Kirk Cousins, AJB, Justin Jefferson. I think for Jefferson, he'll have tough matchups, whether it be Darius Slay or James Bradbury guarding him. AJ Brown, I don't think the Vikings have anyone that can match up quite as well with him. Uh, defenses, I think they're both very good defenses. Both have very good offensive lines. I think these teams match up rather evenly for the most part. But I think the Eagles will come away with the W in the end. I think Jalen Hurts will have a huge game. I think it'll be about the same story as last week. A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown, more A.J. Brown. And I think we'll see more from Jalen Hurts on the ground. Less of Miles Sanders, possibly. And hopefully we'll see a little bit more of Devontae Smith actually catching the ball for the first time this season, getting in the stat book. Is there any particular game that you're looking forward to this week, Derek? I like the game you picked, but the one that I'm looking forward to the most is probably the Chiefs and Chargers. Kind of going back last week, you know, comparison-wise, the Ardevi, Florida, and Kentucky game. It's, you know, Justin Herbert and <clears throat> Mahomes 
you know, two top three dynasty quarterbacks. I'm just excited to see, you know, two high-profile offenses going at it. Now the downside is it looks like Keenan Allen might not play, but, you know, Josh Palmer and uh, you said Gerald Everett? Yep, Gerald Everett. They look like they might be, you know, keen on getting some pretty good targets this week. Um, Excited to see CEH again, hopefully – get utilized really well Uh, maybe Juju Smith-Schuster can finally figure out how to not fumble the ball when he's getting tackled I think we'll get a steady dose of Travis Kelsey like I totally anticipate we'll get each and every week if as long as they're healthy Um, you know and then on the flip side Justin Herbert young strong arm super exciting Uh, Mike Williams being a deep threat like to see him get a little bit more involved uh, maybe Austin Eckler finally do something. You know, he's kind of hit and miss. He seems like he's a little bit boomer bust. He either puts up 30 or gets you 8. would like to see him get, you know, just get involved, be more of a part of the offensive game plan and, you know, just be stuck with. Um, but that's that's about it for, for my game. I'm just excited to see hopefully two high-caliber offenses go, go at it head-to-head smash-mouth style. Yeah, I'm glad that's one of the island games on Thursday night, so that'll definitely be fun to watch as opposed to most Thursday night games historically that we're used to. So that'll be real good. You know, We start the week with your shootout, end the week with my shootout. Hopefully the Chiefs and Vikings, or I'm sorry, Chiefs and Eagles come out on top. But well, We're leaving out the Cowboys and Bengals game, my team against your team. But uh, we're just going to slaughter you guys at this point. We're, we're all pissed off, and you're missing your left side of your line, your quarterback, and it's just not going to be not going to be pretty for yeah, you guys. I'm projecting 35-6 to six. Bengals. I'd be surprised if Cooper Rush can lead a touchdown drive, to be honest with you. That's why I say six. We might get two field goals. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. But that'll wrap us up for this week. Appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode of Dynasty Football Talk. You can find us on Twitter at Gump7285, at D underscore Cook93, and that's K-O-C-H, and at D-F-T Podcast. We'll be with you guys again next week after another exciting week of college and NFL football. See you!